Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. A little little long for me to get him on the show, but he's here today, so let's uh, make use of our time here while we've got him. So today's guest, I think everyone in the volleyball community is going to know this guy, but he was the MVP at Seneca College when he played there. He's played and coached at the McCovey Games several times. He's been an assistant coach at Humber. He's coached in the One Volleyball League. He was uh, just a mastermind behind the Can-Am, him and his family, and now they're putting on the Volleyball Showcase, which will be in Langley uh, from December 28th to 31st. And that's, that's not even his full bio, but we got to start the episode eventually so please welcome to the show ellie Shermer. ellie thanks for doing this man thanks josh really appreciate it and shout out to all the passing dimes listeners and amazing what you guys have been doing uh for the last it's been what about two two three years now you've been doing it oh yeah i think it'll be this upcoming april will be three years i think when Dallas and i started it yeah so it, it's going well and it gives me a chance and excuse to talk to guys like you so I, I totally totally um and I'm, I'm really happy to be here and, and be able to share as much information as possible I don't, where'd you find the Seneca MVP? That, that's like, uh, that's, that's 99, 2000. So the, here, here, I'll give you the, the behind the scenes of when I was doing my research is like a guy like you, you've been involved in beach blast. You've been involved at mad camp. It, people at Humber, like, I think people, depending where they met you in the community, think Ellie's like that guy, but I, you and I are like close to age. And I was like, I wonder if people remember Ellie, Ellie could ball in his day. So I wanted to figure it out. And, and I knew, uh, Daniel and I are a little bit closer to age. So I know he was a loyalist guy and then a Humber guy, but I forgot where you played. But then when I just searched you in the OCAA, I forgot you were a Seneca guy. And, and actually I did want to ask you about Seneca. Cause I think you just preceded Rob Fernley was the MVP before you. And then my guy Kanita was right after you. So those must've been some pretty competitive teams at Seneca. Yeah. The, the, the first, my first year, Rob had transferred from Brock after playing three years there and he, him and uh, he was kind of our go-to. We had a, we actually had this big Russian kid, Vadim, who was, you know, if he would have stayed healthy and had a better mental, we actually probably would have been a top three team, but he was inconsistent, but Rob was awesome. And, you know, I was first year, you know, starting setter playing for, you know, Mr. Drakic. And, uh, and it was, it was a, the first year was a little rough, but a good experience. And that second year, we, we, I think we overachieved with our, with our team. Like we, we were, we went into the season, actually probably the number one favorite team in Ontario, if not the country, because we had, uh, we had recruited myself and, and Ed had recruited Pat Thomas, who was arguably the best volleyball player in North America, or one of the two, him and Z- uh, Zelko, if you remember the name Zelko, that kid from Cambridge that went to Penn State back then. So we got we got Pat, and then we had Wayne McIntyre, who was a provincial team kid from London, um, maybe a year or two older than you, or maybe around the same age. And we were like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna be really really good. And and then by Christmas, they both failed out. Um, we went to our training camp in Windsor with eight guys. Um, and somehow between myself and, you know, uh, Derek Walker and Ron Bourne Prasit, uh, JP and, uh, Kenita's older brother, we, we upset loyalists in the first round at loyalist and we ended up losing to Niagara in the semi. And then we came back back door and won the bronze. Um, so that was a really good year. My last year there was, was, was a lot of fun. That was Kenita's. A lot of people don't know, but Kenita who became, you know, one of the top even U sport players in his or CIS players in his day. His first year was at Seneca 
never really played much, but he was so athletic that, you know, we just stuck him on the right side. And, you know, I mean, if you, I don't know if you know this story, but in our semifinal against Niagara that year at Seneca, uh, I set him 74 times in a five set loss. <laughs> uh, I think we lost 15, 12 in the fifth. Um, my son, he had like 34 kills on like 74 sets. Like it was, it was, uh, he was so insanely athletically gifted, even when he was a rookie and not like super, super amazing yet. He was just raw, but just like unbelievable talent. Um, but then I did go to loyalist for half a year, which was, um, some people remember that or not, but I went the year after Daniel played a loyalist, which was Oh one Oh two. I went to loyalist. Um, and it's a crazy story because I was coaching at Sheridan at the, in the fall of 02, I was the assistant coach at Sheridan done my playing career, started assistant coaching. We were terrible. Um, but Sheridan, that was like before Sheridan started to get some players when they read, that was just as they brought the program back. Right. Um, I think the second or third year since they had their 10 year hiatus from OCAA and, uh, yeah, so I, I was coaching there. And then at the Durham tournament, Chris Carson and, and a bunch of the loyalist guys that I had played against slash played with Daniel the year before were like, yo, you should, you got to have, you got a year left, like transfer here. Like they were already ranked second in the country. They had just come off uh, beating York and Waterloo and someone else at the, at the Waterloo tournament that year. Like they were, I mean, that loyalist team in 01, 02 and 02, 03 were two of the best college programs in OCAA history for sure. Um, but same thing with loyalists that Christmas, they lost, two of their best players, uh, Alpha and Surgeon, and then they were down to eight guys and they offered, and basically Chris offered me a, a deal I couldn't refuse, which most importantly was an opportunity to win a provincial championship, which I didn't do those three years at Humber, uh, sorry, at Seneca. Um, and yeah, I went there for half a year, like went there in des- late December, trained for a few days. We went to Limaloo won the Limulu tournament, which we were the first Ontario team to ever win that tournament back then. Uh, and I actually started in the final as a left side, if you can imagine. <laughs> like, And I was actually hitting the ball pretty good. Um, that's also where I have my famous serving story because I never jump served other than the beach in my college career. But then um, the year I played men's in 0102 for big up, I started to jump serve because Ed just wouldn't let me do it. He always wanted me to go to the back and just float serve. So I started jump serving and I had the, uh, you remember Jason Dufault? Yep. Played on the national team. And I remember watching him play at York with Team Canada back in the day. We're the same age too, funny enough. And he had that high toss. Like, I mean, high, high, high. And that's what I brought into my serve. I didn't have the most, you know, I wasn't serving the ball like, you know, Wilfredo Leon or Shawan and these guys. But the way I tossed the ball and then just as, as our buddy Mike Chumley used to call me the grill, like the George Foreman grill because I had a heavy arm, it was a it was pretty cool being able to toss the ball really high and then still hit a heavy serve. And at the Limaloo tournament, in the final, um, you've been to Limaloo before? Uh, yes. Yeah. I've been there once. Yeah. You're playing on the far court when you walk in, I think it's a four court gym where they have some bleachers yeah. up there. Up top. Yeah. They have these big fans that are all over and there's one like right above the serving area on the one side. So I go back, toss the ball up and it, goes up pretty high almost it basically went up to the roof and it actually hit the fan it came down and i still served it and got an ace and the ref didn't blow the whistle so they ended up giving the ball to the other team because i hit the roof but it, for a second there was like no one knew what to do because i just went with it 
off the off the fan and then served it. Um, but that experience at Loyalist was like life altering for me as a volleyball player. I mean, played with Joey Martins, who's arguably probably second to Terrell, maybe third to Todd Boys, like greatest college volleyball players in Ontario, let alone what Joey did at Red Deer the two years after. But, you know, guys like Brent Tripp and Timber Boom, uh, like we had an incredible team. And, and um, I'll give you one quick little story from the, the provincial championship. So we played at Loyalist, which was beautiful at the OCs that year. We played against Niagara in the final. And the year before that, when Daniel played, they played Niagara in the final at Mohawk. And they beat them through loyalists went three straight. And I, I was there, I watched it. It was, it was like 55 minutes. Like they just man, manhandled them. And Brent Tripp was matched up against Justin Ross, who was their all Canadian middle player. So we flipped to the 0203 final and coach Carson decided to switch it up and put our second middle our M2 versus Justin. And then trippy Brent Tripp, who was an all Canadian that year versus their other middle. Didn't really work out as well because Justin dominated us. We actually contained Graham Gaughan, who was, you know, a star at that time. Um, and we won the first, I think we lost the first set, won the next two, lost the fourth. I was playing right side all four matches. And I tell this story because it's just a cool volleyball story. And I don't, I don't know any other coach who's had the balls to do something like this in my whole career. So we go into the fifth set. I've hit, I've been hitting the first four sets. Our libero for the first four sets was our, Third left side in that rotation, Matt Thompson, who was an All-Canadian the year after, funny enough. And then our setter was Mike McDonald. So we go into the fifth set. We're in the team huddle. And Chris goes, Ellie, you're setting. Mike, you're libero. Matt, you're left side. <laughs> Timber, boom, now you're going from left side to right side. Like completely the fifth set of the most important game I'm about to play of my life. And I haven't won yet. My whole family's there, mom, dad brothers, friends from Toronto came up, my grandparents, uh, my mom, my dad's parents who, sorry, my mom's parents came to a lot of our volleyball stuff back in the day. I'm sure you saw them. So like everything's on the line. I haven't set a ball outside of maybe one ball in the whole match. And he's like, you're setting. I'm like, okay, sure. Let's go. And set, set a pretty good fifth set game, game match point ball to Timber Boom. And it was like, you know, we won and it was one of the greatest feelings. I remember just like, right away going to my dad after we won, just hugging him and just like finally won, you know, won a provincial championship. That was important to me and um, ended up getting a tournament all-star, which was great. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you know, that team went on, we lost in the national, we lost in the national final to Red Deer when they, I think it was their sixth national championship in a row at that point, you know, they won eight in a row during that era, but that was the team that was, Aaron Shula and Nick Cundy on the left, Brock Daviduk setting, Matt Koharski in the middle, and Dallas Sunius on the right, let alone Robert Ellis and a bunch of other guys. And they beat us three straight um, in the final, and that was at Durham. But it was it, it was special playing them because they were they were the that I would say that's the best college team in the history of the CCAA. Like if you had to pick one team to go play against you know, anyone else, I would, I would say that, Oh, two Oh three red deer team was, and when you look at where those players, most of them went after, I think four guys to the national team and Dallas obviously had a very gifted career. So, um, yeah, that was, that was the college career that actually, you know, I got a lot of my goals achieved, but Seneca was, uh, you know, where it started off. And I remember I was only recruited by two schools, Seneca 
by Ed and Wayne Wilkins at Humber. So, uh, you know, um, it was nice to be able to go to Humber years later and, and get back with, with the coaching there. Yeah, man, this is this is awesome to hear about it because I think when people think uh, the OCAA right now, Humber comes up a lot, Fanshawe comes up a lot, and rightfully so. Like they they've put some strings together here, but uh, yeah, you and I were growing up in that era where I think you mentioned Sheridan took their program away, but when like Mike Albert and those guys were there, they won a bunch and in bunches. But then in your era, it was kind of Loyalist Niagara in an absolute dogfight every single year, and obviously Seneca's very competitive, and then it, it kind of broke off. But then you joined Humber, and, and you guys were putting strings together, so. Uh, just for me and the listeners, because my ears are probably perking up that you were recruited by Wayne and said, no, how, how did you kind of still have a relationship with him that you could then go join his coaching staff? Because that's credit to Wayne. I know a lot of guys, uh, if they don't get the recruit, it kind of breaks the relationship up a little bit and they don't want to like really work with that person. Right. Well, I think Wayne, you say that funny, you say that because Wayne kind of instilled that in me where when I did coach for the eight years at Humber, I was technically head of recruiting on top of being, I guess, second assistant coach to, to Hank. And, um, I was always in my recruiting of athletes, whether it was a TJ Sanders or anyone who came or didn't come, uh, I always said, we're always going to be boys, you know, like, it's not like I'm being nice to you because I want you to come. And, and with Wayne, I think he understood, you know, the relationship that my family had to, to the Drakich family with the lineage going back to Eli and Mary Drake. It's like, so we go all the way back with them and, you know, it was no disrespect to Wayne, but it was like Ed Drakich, like national team player, Olympian, you know, all these things that I just thought I would have a better opportunity there. And, and my dad was an influence on my decision as well. But I think Wayne understood. Um, and then Wayne and I actually had great battles. I mean, I, I remember matches against Humber. We probably lost, we lost every match to Humber in my three years at Seneca. I think it was so six matches. Every match we lost. I think we lost every match in five. And there was matches where me and Wayne were trash talking (laughs) like it was and it would get intense, but it, you know, we kept this relationship. And then because Hank Ma was so close with me and my family, you know, Hank was the assistant coach on our 96 Ontario summer games, gold medal team. That's a legendary team from back in the day. So it was easy to keep a relationship. And I was impressed with Humber just with always having a great program. The facilities there are unbelievable. So, you know, to be, to be able to keep that relationship, and then all those years later, after the three years I coached at Pac-Man, um, where I coached Joshua for from 16U to 18U, Wayne, Wayne and I just were talking that one day and, and he offered me an opportunity to come 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 through and coach with the with them. And it, I mean, think about this. This March is 10 years from winning our national championship in 2012. So um, it was a pretty amazing run at Humber from all aspects of it. Um, and it feels like it was so long ago, but it was, or, sorry, it doesn't feel that long ago, but it's, I mean, I haven't coached there since 2015 and, uh, eight years there, five national championships we went to and three provincial gold medals in a row. Um, you know, plus the national bronze in 2014, which is the year my brother, I might be the only person who's ever coached two of his brothers in college in di- on different teams, but the same program. Because yeah. remember, Daniel came back to school in 07, 08 when we hosted nationals. And I, so I was assistant coach. And then Josh came back in 13, 14 to play for one year. And I was his coach, so it was, which was really cool to have, you know, that experience to coach both my brothers. So, but yeah, Humber was a, an incredible experience for me um, as a coach. And 
and working with Wayne and Hank and Bart and Paul Kemboy and that group was, you know, pretty, pretty special. Yeah. Tell me, uh, we, we got a lot to cover, man, but tell me about the the national championship year. And the re- the reason I bring that up is Terrell, absolute beast and just an incredible talent. But I, I do want to set the record straight for our listeners. There was a year where he got into a little bit of an academic thing and didn't play a second semester. And you guys still won the league because you guys like guys like uh, Fletcher and Maskell and all these guys that like Humber was pretty well balanced and, and pretty deep. And maybe that's a credit to you recruiting. But then the following year, uh, Terrell's back, Andre Brown, and all these guys like you could put it together. Did it just feel special from like training camp on that that team had a serious chance to win a national championship? Um. Yeah, but I would take it to like the first year we went, the, my second national championship with Humber, but the first year Terrell played and all those guys we lost. We finished fourth that year at nationals. Um, we were we were so close, even though UBCO was very good when they beat us in the semis, that we already started then thinking like, man, if we were just a bit more experienced, we were going to be really good. And then Terrell comes back for the 2010-11 season not eligible after Christmas, but at that point was like 7.4 points per game. Like just, we were dominating everybody. Um, but we were so deep. So we knew that without him, sure. Like we knew with him, we were winning that we would have won in 2010, 11, like for sure. But then we lost him and it was like, Oh, okay. We're still like crazy deep, like really good guys. So, you know, that year, just we just filled in the blanks and we, we didn't think we could replace Terrell. We just knew that more guys would have to pick up the slack. And, you know, we, we ended up finishing, same thing, we finished fourth that year. No, we didn't finish. We, we won against Red Deer in the first round in 2011 um, at Nationals. And then we lost in the semi to CBC, who ended up winning uh, Columbia Bible College. And then, you know, the backdoor to bronze, we didn't care as much about I guess in the second time through. Um, but that, that year definitely when, when we finished like still beat red deer and, you know, just realized that best player in the country wasn't playing for us. And we still were that good. The next year was just a matter of, you know, if, if he was coming back and, and then once Terrell was back and he was able to, you know, keep his academics in a good place, it, it was, it was kind of a no brainer. Um, uh, and you know, he had, it doesn't get talked about enough. And, and I do suggest at some point you bring him on the show just because it'll probably get more listens and views if it's on video or combination, cause his following is so great even around the world. But, um, like that year, I would say Terrell put himself on the map as like the best collegiate volleyball player in, in like CCAA history. But one could argue that year in all of collegiate sport, volleyball, America and Canada, if there was a better, more dominant player, like the, it doesn't matter how much he got set because it was how efficient he was, you know? And, and that was what was so cool about our team. Like we had a great libero and Alex in vice. And then, you know, Andre Brown and Mac Robertson and Cam was actually a rookie in 2011, 12 and starting. But then we had guys that we had guys that could come off the bench. Like we were like 14 guys deep those years. Um, but it, the team just had an energy about us. And, uh, from the Limaloo tournament that year until we won the national championship, we were like pretty steamrolled everybody other than Mohawk in the semis where we were down two zero at Nipissing came back and won in five. And that was Terrell's 53 point, um, 
match um, that was the gr- probably the greatest volleyball match I've ever watched individually one person play. Like just whether the levels, it's not the level of the national team, but it's just the dominance and everybody, it's like, it's like, like the LeBrons and Michael Jordans and where it's like, you know, he's getting the ball. There's nothing you can do. You could have put, you could have made it nine man volleyball, put five blockers there and he's still scoring. And uh, you know, the, the national championship that year uh, at CBC was, was really cool just to be a part of um, and be the, and then winning it was, you know, being the first Ontario team to win in 19 years. Cause we won in 20, sorry, more than that, 2012. And then Sheridan won in 83. So there was from 83 to 2012, there was no Ontario team that did, had finished better than third. That's oh, sorry, second, my O two O three loyalist team was, and then Daniel's, uh, there was a couple bronze medals, but uh, yeah, it was a great experience, man. And and I'm, I'm trying to find footage of those um, that national championship because we're going to try and celebrate as a team 10 year anniversary uh, next year uh, when we get into it. But uh, yeah, that was that was special times. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad you brought up the the 50 uh, 53 point game. Excuse me, because I love volleyball and there's lots of reasons to love it. And it is kind of the ultimate team game that you really do need everybody. But every once in a while, there's just that ball who you just everybody in the gym knows getting the ball, whether it was like Chris Simic at times or Vervoom or Terrell. And the reason I want to bring up the Mohawk game, because 53 kills and everybody knows he's getting the ball. But uh, I seem to remember you guys came out a little bit flat, but then wasn't there this weird chirping or somebody shouldered somebody on a side change? And like, I think Mohawk maybe poked the bear. If they look back, I think there was like, there, there was a rivalry there. And I think when they had you guys up, I think it was the second set side change that they maybe poked the bear and that kind of sparked you guys. Do you remember that incident I'm talking about? I, I'd have to ask Wayne. I, Cause I, I do remember an incident, I think between the fourth and the fifth set, there was something too, where that, that happened. I can't remember. It's going to be a good question for Terrell because he'll know exactly like what changed the game. But um, it was definitely a rivalry and, you know, everybody was, you know, so high on Mohawk with Justin Scapanella and some of these guys. And, and, and it was like, you know, and then we were down two zero and then, and then you're right. You know, Terrell's like a, like a lot of the elite athletes in the world that are, that have that, what I call the killer mentality is, the one thing you, it's like, do the opposite of trash talking or poking the bear. Just let him be, let him, let him not be seen. But then when you poke him, when you get a roof on, block him or dig him, and then you, you, you get all excited, you're poking at him. And, you know, and then the, I mean, I, he has, it's funny in his house, his, his mom's, he has the score sheet up on the wall still from, from that match. And you just, it's like 48 kills four, three, two blocks and three aces or something like that. Um, and it was, it was special, but his semi, just quick sidebar, his semifinal and final at nationals that year, like beating Red Deer in the semi in four, then beating Douglas in the final in four. A lot of people can't fathom this, but he was like, get 86 kills in those two matches combined. It was like 43 and 45 or something like that. And I was doing the stats and matching the stats with the, it wasn't like inflated because I was doing it. But his, like he was hitting like 500, 600, getting, you know, over 70, 80 balls. Like he was, I think he hit like 150 balls in those two matches. And in the fifth, in the fourth set against Douglas to win it, he was 12 for 15 with no errors. 
in the fifth set, in the fourth set. Like he was, he was, he reminded, Gavin was like this too. I, I, I saw this with Gavin Schmidt watching him play for years as an attacker. He almost was, he'd get better the longer the game goes. Like he had just a, just a shoulder that could go forever and ever and ever. And Terrell was kind of that same thing. And um, yeah, it was, it was, I say this a lot. He was, it was the best part of coaching with, at Humber was uh, showing up to practices and games when he was there because you never knew what was going to happen. And there's very few players, especially in collegiate volleyball uh, in Ontario that, you you'll say that about and there's always there's other guys but he was definitely was like it was just fun you never knew what was going to happen and because he was living on the edge a bit and a little bit of trash talking and get it he'll get into it with the crowd if they're chirping him and stuff like that too it it just kind of gave it a little more excitement and you know and i'm glad that he's still doing doing his thing to this day very quietly you know still being a great professional and you know i mean it was only two years ago that he's had the fourth highest scoring match in the history of uh professional volleyball right he had the 55 point match in lebanon uh when he was playing there so but uh yeah the, the college world years were, were unbelievable as a player and as a coach um but it also and it kind of just built everything that i'm you know able to be doing now let's say for sure for sure Let, let's jump to that so volleyball showcase is going to be in langley it's december 28th the 31st but before we get to that one i just want to regroup a little bit on the can-am and the reason i bring that up is uh i was lucky enough to be involved in a little bit of commentary we interviewed a bunch of the guys before that so um this isn't the first special event you've run but i'm curious how you get ideas to do this because uh i think people look back and they say oh like yeah that, that, that's a good idea but they probably don't know all the work and the logistics that go into it to finding the venue to finding the teams to, to making it all work because uh universities are super busy and there's a ton of holiday stuff they could attend. So why would they attend yours? Right. So how about you just take me through the idea to the execution of Can-Am and then we can hop on the volleyball showcase and talk about all the good stuff you got coming up this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm glad you asked that question regarding, uh, sort of the process. Um, most people that do know me a little bit to a lot know that my background is event production in the nightlife and entertainment world, sport and entertainment you know, from the first party I ever threw in 2003 or four to, you know, five years in a row of the parties with LeBron um, at Cabana with 5,000 people and all that stuff. It was, you know, that that's in my blood to produce events. Um, And because of that, being a volleyball fan and fanatic and geek or whatever the term is that I would coin myself or guys like you and, we just we're, we're obsessed with the sport is I realized that on the pr- volleyball event production side, it's mediocre, not just in our country, not just over down South of the border, kind of globally, even now with like a $300 million investment by volleyball world, there's still so much more they can do um, in order to make our, events or live events call it you know up to par for the quality of athletes that we put out there whether male or female um so i never run a volleyball event in my life even though i've run 1500 to 2000 parties individually over the years but i looked at it and i said you know well running a volleyball event is just like running a party you said it you got to get a venue you got to book get book the talent you know, and then do all the little minutiae in order to make it real. And 
Um, for Ken M, it was it was not a lot of people know this, but the only reason there was a Ken M was two reasons. One, I'll give you three reasons. Number one, I was managing Kofi's music career at the time, and I was I I made it a mission that it'd be so cool to create an event in Toronto that he could play in before he graduated. So this is already like maybe 2017 or 18, his second year when, you know, that I had started to really go out to LA a lot too. So I'd started to get to know Sparrow and, and all these guys. So the second reason was John Sparrow and the Bruins took me in as a, as family right from the beginning. And whether I was there doing stuff with Volley Kings or my own stuff, like, like I was family and I was talking with John one day and I was like, you know, if, if I was able to put together a, an event in Toronto, would you guys like come play? Um, and what would that like, when could we do it? And thanks to John, he, who was like, well, if there, if we, if there was a chance to do something, it's end of December, right before we start our season, right before the Christmas holiday, like the, the holidays are over. If you can fit something in this weekend, and we can play good competition, Canadian competition, we're in. And I was like, cool. So then the third phone call or call it the third reason was, and I picked up the phone and called Terry Daniluk. I said, Terry, can I basically take the concept you ran for so many years at Alberta up until I think 2009 or 10, whenever the rules changed in the NCAA, which basically didn't allow the teams to travel anymore to Alberta in the preseason to play. I said, do you mind if I kind of resurrect the Can-Am event, but in Toronto. And I'd love Alberta to also be one of the teams. And he was like, Ellie, go ahead, do, do your thing, buddy. Like, go for it. I'm like, okay, cool. And so I had Terry's blessing and Alberta. I had John Spira and UCLA. And I was like, like the, there's the talent. And then it was just filtering more people into that. I had spoken to Pete Henson, before he retired, um, uh, before uh, Kevin Birch took over, um, he was interested. Um, Alan Knight was accessible to me through all the matches that they were playing while I was out there against UCLA, and he loved it. And then I met Dan Friend, um, I think at the ABCA conference, but then at the World League in Chicago, or VNL in Chicago 2019 summer, uh, I met... Uh, I like spoke to Dan there about it and he was very interested and that was that, you know, Lewis had two really good program, like strong programs the last two years or 2019, 20 and 2018, 19, I guess. And, um, he, he loved the idea and the Canadian school were schools were actually the easiest. Like when I, I go back with Ben Joe 20 years to when we played once against each other back when he was at Trinity playing and I was at Seneca, I called Ben said, Hey, this is what I'm trying to run. We'd love to have you guys. We're in. Like five, not even five minute call. We're in. Because the minute he heard UCLA, Long Beach State, they were in. And then, you know, just it, then it was for me, it's all the storylines. Well, Ryerson, they got the brothers and the rookie at UCLA, the other brother, and 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 the relationship to, you know, Matt Harris that goes back 20 plus years and um, and then Mac with Dave Preston and, and, and just, again, it's, it was all, it's all relationship based. So once we had the talent, it was just a matter of, um, ex execution, which 
required me to find the right group of people to work with. And funny enough, the first person that I was working on Can-Am with was actually Horst Stanko. Um, and, and then Daniel got involved, um, especially because Horst was so supportive of it. Um, and then together, the three of us were able to like, you know, and then Singh was a part of it too. A very, very big part. Um, but, you know, we were just able to fill in all the places, you know, and all this, the places where I would be weaker with my skill sets, Daniel or Singh could fill in. And the places where I'm stronger and they're weaker, well, that's that's where I come in. And, you know, it just was the perfect, it was like the perfect storm. It was very field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. I mean, you you were there. UCLA Trinity Western on the second night of the event was kind of one of the best volleyball experiences I've ever been in my life. Um, sold out standing room only. It wasn't just about two programs. It was, a you know, it was, you know, we, the, the Kofi, Kofi versus Lepke and all this stuff. It was, it was just like the perfect thing. And um, as a volleyball fan to be able to then produce an event where everyone I've spoken to since we ran the event two years ago, had has only given rave views from just the regular fan that came to, you know, like the text message John Spra sent Daniel and I on December 30th, like saying, this is one of the best events I've ever been a part of. And I'm like, you go to like world league and Olympics and world championships and national championships. And, and you're telling, but he was sincere. And it definitely, after doing the first one, it was like, we made a statement and funny two years later, even though we haven't run one, you would think we've run 35 Can-Am holiday volleyball showcases because the, you know, the, the reaction that people still have when we talk about it, it's like, you'd think we've done so many because everybody loves it. You know, the trendy, the reason we're doing the volleyball showcase um, has a lot to do with Jeff Gamash, the, um, ideally I'm not butchering his last name, who's the AD at Trinity. Um, and the original plan, I'm jumping to, to the volleyball showcase, but the original plan was we were going to do the Can-Am holiday volleyball showcase this December at Langley. Um, and then we couldn't get the American teams just didn't work out. Um, and then with the fourth wave of the thing going on, it was like, well, maybe we shouldn't do this either way. Like what if the da 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 and, um, but for me, what was interesting back in like August was okay, no, no American teams, but Hey, we had Alberta, Trinity Western and UBC signed, sealed, ready to go and play in the Can-Am holiday volleyball showcase. And I was like, well, why don't we, why don't we just run a Canadian university showcase? We just need one more team, not from Canada West, and, it, and then if we can get more than four, it would have been great. But as long as we have four teams, we can run a great showcase. Um, I took this project on under the Elements Toronto and the Volleyball Network, which we'll touch on that maybe towards the end of it, the Volleyball Network, my new business. Um, but I felt strong enough that, especially once we added Laval, and again, Gino, when I spoke to Gino, was like, yeah, we're in. It was like, Okay, you don't. Do you want to know when it is? Do you want to know how much? Uh, you, by the way, we don't pay your expenses. You got to cut. We're in. 
he canceled his exhibition games against TRU and like, boom, we had, we had Laval. And then I'm like looking at this and I'm like, okay, those we have, UBC is an all time great program, but Alberta Trinity and Laval and outside of probably Manitoba are probably the three greatest programs we've ever had in university men's volleyball um, historically. And then you throw Manitoba in there and then UBC's kind of almost there. And I'm like, there hasn't been an event live event for volleyball since January of 2020 when Canada qualified for the Olympics, which was in BC. I was like, as long as there's at the time it was 50% capacity or more, I'm like, why don't we just do a Canadian showcase? And the Langley Event Center, who I'm actually working directly with on this event, they were like, yeah, we love it. All the coaches, Ben and Mike and, and, and Brock and, and Gino were like, yeah, this, this is going to work. So, um, and then I wanted to basically create something new because I, this wasn't a Can-Am event anymore. This wasn't anything like that. So I just came up with an, a, another name on my on my own i just said oh it's called the volleyball showcase um and just so you know the volleyball showcase is potentially going to be three events starting next year and moving forward so there'll be the volleyball because the goal is to actually do can-am holiday volleyball showcase in 2022 uh bring it back but for me as an event producer, I want to continue to do volleyball events. So just so you know, there's a, I've already started to circulate information to some of the top programs on the women's side and men's side. And if everything goes well, next October, we're going to run the volleyball showcase at Langley event center with four men's teams and four women's youth sport teams. And it'll be, you know, like an FIVB beach event. You know, you have center court and a second court, Men's game, women's game, men's game, women's game, rotating on each court. So it's everybody gets their shine. And over that weekend in mid-October that we're looking to do it, we're, we're going to put together second version of the volleyball showcase. Um, and then the year after that, there's a good chance we're going to run an NCAA women's only volleyball showcase event in the preseason of 2023. I've, already spoken to like eight of the top 15, 20 programs in America that have interest to come and play in our event um, when we decide to like officially launch it. Um, so that's kind of how the volleyball showcase kind of came about. Um, and very similar to the Can-Am, we've added extra layers to it. It's not just about a volleyball tournament with these four teams. Um, you know, we added the coaching symposium that um, did you see the, promo for the coaching symposium uh i did and i and i'm a little jealous i gotta get some contacts for me because I, I think half of them have been on the show and they're they're some of my favorite episodes and i definitely need to get the other half and uh not to single anybody out like obviously shannon and Lori, and there's some great people there but uh you got doug beal yeah <laughs> like i remember really getting into volleyball and NBC would do a really good job of getting him mic'd up in the timeouts. And I just remember thinking like, you know, VCR days recording Doug Beal in a timeout talking to like Reed pretty and these guys and just like, Oh, this is what technical tactical volleyball is at the highest level. So I would just love to hear that guy speak for an hour about anything. Yeah, no, that, that <laughs> I'll get into the, again, the volleyball network. That's we'll talk about it as the last thing, but 
uh, Doug and, and Doug's just been, since I met him like six, seven, eight months ago, he's been just the greatest ally for me to have. And, um, when I, when we decided to do a symposium, I was like, Oh, how can we make this even more special? Um, and Shannon, Doug, John, and Gina are doing, uh, they'll do the final session of the symposium and it's going to be a virtual, it's basically going to be a zoom panel discussion. So our live stream audience can, will watch it through, through how we produce it. Um, all the in-person symposium people in BC are going to be in a classroom or in the, um, in the banquet hall at the LEC watching and interacting with it. Uh, Mike Chumley is going to be the host and moderator for it, which is super exciting because he's, he, he just eats up that stuff. Um, I think it's going to be absolutely awesome. And any of the guests you want, like, I want to give them to you. Like if, if I can, you know, easily connect you, uh, to Doug or John Kessel or any of these other coaches that are, that you'd like to get on the show or for any other important stuff you're doing, no problem. Um, so we have the symposium. We also have, uh, the team, team BC men or boys and girls playing in an exhibition game against each other. So kind of like Can-Am, we had the youth all-star game. Um, we're doing a boys and girls youth all-star game. And it's basically the provincial team, BC provincial boys and girls splitting into two squads. After two days of training at their other facility, they're going to come on the last day. So the final day, New Year's Eve morning is going to be women, uh, provincial team match, boys provincial team match, and then the bronze and gold match of the showcase. Um, so we've had a great relationship building with, uh, with BC volleyball and Jay Tremonte, who's awesome. And Ryan Adams, who's the coaching technical director there, who I actually played against in club back in the day he was a tri city kid and, you know, and all that stuff. So, um, so we have the, that youth component and, we're actually looking to add a fourth um, segment or phase to the volleyball showcase this year, actually, um, is we're most likely going to add a youth um, skill development um, day of programming on the 27th. Um, and I'm actually running um, sidebar. I'm not actually going to, this is the first event I'm ever running that I'm not going to be there. Ooh. So. Uh, just with the things I'm going through and everything, I'm not going to be able to make it out there, um, which has been known by everybody. So I've uh, hired Brian Hebert to be the co-director of the event with me, um, which has been really, really exciting to work with Brian, who I go back like over 20 years with. Um, and we believe that a youth development or skill development program, especially if we can get like Gino and a couple of the coaches or even guys like Schreimer and, Ben Ball and Matt Kruger and some of the athletes to be the coaches on that 27th. What kid's not going to want to spend a little bit of money to go and do five, four hours of volleyball on the 27th with these great coaches there. So that'll be the fourth phase of our showcase that we'll probably launch uh, next week. And uh, just really excited. You know, we're, we got more content coming out, more marketing and promotion. Um, we're going to try and do a bunch of giveaways. You know, we have a great live stream that's going to be well-priced for the symposium and obviously for the actual uh, matches. Um, and we're just trying to get support from the whole country um, because we need to support these events um, 
that were that that happened because they're so few and far. And um, but yeah, so that's kind of a summation of the volleyball showcase. This is this is awesome to hear the names that keep coming up and the history and just the community. And I and I do want to give a shout out to UBC because they did take down a championship with Kerry McDonald in 2018. So any of our UBC fans yelling at the screen going, uh, Ellie kind of excluded them from the who's who. They just want to ship recently and they're right there. But you're right. If this keeps growing and you include Toba and I'm a big Dave Preston fan, you get Mac and, and just some other people like you're right with four teams. Somebody's going to be left out. But uh, I just counted it up on my phone here. You have the last nine national champions between Alberta, Trinity's gone on the run Laval won at Laval that one year it was crazy and then with UBC just winning so I mean if you had to exclude exclude anybody you have the last nine defending national championships in one spot for a showcase so this is definitely going to be a great event but I did want to circle back to one thing because I thought it was a great point you brought up was the the concept of storytelling at the Can-Am because I think just as a volleyball fan you perk up and you go oh Canada versus USA like UCLA you kind of go like just that battle there but then you talk about you know Kofi playing in front of family and friends you talk about the uh I always mispronounce it. It's not Ketrazinski. It's something similar, but... No, it's Ketrazinski. Is Cole, Xander, Trent, Ketrazinski, Alex. But if you listen to UCLA, because they record the names on it, Cole doesn't pronounce it... Okay, okay. And I was at a lot of games uh, that 2019-20 year that Cole was a freshman. I used to get so mad. Like, that's not how you say his name, but I guess... You know, they're Americans, so you just let them do their Okay, thing. I just didn't know who to believe, but they have the cool thing where you click on their name and they pronounce it, and it was not Ketrazinski, but we'll go with that for now. Anyways, there was that storyline. Uh, obviously, with uh, Tariq transferring to Ryerson, it was a chance to see him play at home. Like, there were just so many layers that you could just watch Canada versus USA, and that was going to be awesome. Or if you really wanted to nerd out, you could watch Lewis, who had some of the most athletic players in the country, playing against some other beasts across the net. You could talk about Trinity as maybe one of the best teams of all time. So just the, the layers and layers and layers of it kept going, which I thought was cool and you mentioned the sellout with trinity and ucla so uh, i'm just curious when you go into that does that ever come up as a perk like you mentioned Spraw really wanted to come like did you have to say i'll get you a game against trinity or like how much does the ncaa know about U sports and these matchups you guys kind of built by design well i'll give you uh, a cool example of the impact of that event for us paying attention more outside of just like maybe the coaches that know we have a strong Canadian men's university, um, league. I met Gage Worsley, uh, maybe in February of 2020 through Brandon Rattray because they were teammates at Hawaii for a couple of years before Rattray transferred. And I asked him, we were on a FaceTime and I was like, Hey, did you by chance, like, did you guys see the event that I, that we ran in Toronto with, you know, you was, yeah, we watched, we watched every match on the live stream. And he, and now that, that 2019, 20 year, Hawaii was arguably one of the best two teams in the country. For sure, yeah. Uh, I think they lost in five to Long Beach for that national championship when they won their. Uh, when no, Defalco went off, four. yeah. But Gage said to me after they when they watch it, they, 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 he was like, "Trinity Western's the best team in North America." Like that was the starting libero of one of the best teams in the country, let alone best programs in the history of men's volleyball as well, collegially saying, "Yeah, they're the best team." And one could argue, even though Lepke's not there and from the 2019-20 team that played in Can-Am, the team this year is the best team in North America, hands down, as, as of right now. But even though we can never see it, I would put my money on Trinity over any U.S. program in the like in March if they played, like when everyone's in like full swing. 
Um, but they're, they're on notice. And, and my goal is to get our tournament out to as many of my buddies out there and other, like I just emailed the, one of the main guys from AAU volleyball and sent him the symposium and the, like, who cares? Send it out. Let, 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 let the boys and girls in America watch these Canadian teams because, you know, this is the one sport with men that there's this parody in America and Canada in, in the collegiate world that you don't really see in too many other major team sports. Like, so it's, they're definitely on notice. Um, and Trinity just, just is at a different level. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of crazy. Like, I think they just beat back-to-back nights, beat UBC in their home opener two nights ago. And last night, I think three straight, both matches. Um, and it's, they're just, they're just that good. And one of the reasons I still wanted to do this event, even though there was like, Oh, co-, you know, the, the, the COVID thing or other stuff was, even though this is at Trinity's home gym, it's not Trinity's tournament, but they're worth the price of admission just to watch these guys. Like, like going to see a Duke basketball game. Like that's how good, or like back in the day, like it would, if it was 10 bucks to come watch a Humber match and you could see Terrell play, it's worth the price of admission. You come and watch Trinity Western play, no disrespect to U of A, UBC or Laval. Like they're just very, very special. And I almost feel like everybody knows it and they're not upset about it because they also don't rub it in your face like Trinity, like they're, you know, they're cordial and, and, you know, confident uh, with how they do things, but they don't rub it in your face. So um, yeah, I think the States is well on, well aware. Um, and ideally next year we have a Can-Am event again that can sort of bring that rivalry out. Yeah, man. No, this is great. Yeah. I, I we could go down the list. Trinity is very special, but uh, I feel like I have favorite players on all these teams. I haven't actually got a chance to watch Laval this year, but uh, Max Ogier is there and he's having a big year, but Canham and Elgert at Alberta, and I always mispronounce his last name, but Matt uh, Dahanyak, I think is how you say it at UBC and Colton. Like they're all these teams are, are very special. Yeah, and I get a chance to see them live. But for me, I would be nerdy now going to the symposium because the the lineup you have, I'm always amazed how willing they are to share. Like it's it's almost funny to me that like and like to hear Benjo or Brock or the the Hawkins, like these head coaches to talk and like, they'll probably tell you what they've done in a game this year and not have like any hesitation to be like, Oh, this is what we tried to do. Or if you're going to watch tonight, this is what we're going to do. Like they're so willing to share. Um, but, but my guy, like he got Matt Kruger on that show and, and, uh, <laughs> and we had to cut his podcast off. We were flirting with two hours and I felt like I could have picked his brain for another two hours. So it's just kind of cool to hear all the learning opportunities. And then you add the youth event where like, I, I think if you're in that Langley area, definitely make it worth it because uh, it, it's going to be really cool with all the stuff you've added. And, and what is the volleyball format? You guys are going one match a day. Uh, two matches a day. Sorry, two matches a day. One team will play a game a day and you're going like afternoon and evening. Yeah. So all the five P these are Pacific times, 5 PM and 7.30, so 8 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, two matches per day, uh, and a little earlier start time on New Year's Eve on the Friday the 31st. Sweet, man. And uh, I'll definitely put it in the show notes, the, the volleyball showcase, so people can figure out a way. Uh, the streaming's up there, the coaching symposium's there. So, yeah, just to run it down one more time, because I feel like I, I've left people out and I don't want to do that. So, all four head coaches are speaking. So, that's Benjo, uh, Coach Hawkins, Davidak, and Gino will be speaking. Shannon, our women's uh, indoor national team coach, will be there. Matt Kruger, my guy, will be there leading a presentation. And then you got Doug Beal, three time Olympian coach from the USA. John Kessel, who might have the best blog in all of volleyball. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are a big fan of him. 
And then you got Gina from SFU and you got Lori Elser from Alberta's women's program. So that's definitely a who's who of, of a coaching symposium to go check out and some live volleyball. So it just seems like a really cool thing, man. Thanks for putting this together. No, no problem. It's, it's, uh, it's what's needed more than people realize in North America for the sport to grow. Um, is we just, there's a lack of content. Then there's a lack of good content when there is content. So it's like kind of, yeah, it's like great because we've got something going, but it's got to be better, you know? And, uh, I, you know, people hesitate to create content because there's a risk involved, you know, but for me being an event producer already, knowing that, if you ha- if you hit it with your talent and the venue, and you get it out in front of enough people, you should be okay, you know. And we don't, you know. And and uh, just so you know, this year we're tinkering with a potential uh, instant uh, challenge system, not the full challenge system like that they use, but as long as we can have a good test run at a Trinity practice, we're going to have a um, a pretty cool little uh, challenge system for a few different. Uh, you know, I think net either net calls and touches, block touches, um, that we're going to use. So, um, yeah, it's just exciting to, to produce this content, and I owe everything to basically what I call the volleyball network. Um, so, um, if I can speak on it a bit, um, I'm in the process of um, incorporating my first volleyball centric business, which will be the volleyball network Inc. And pretty much it's my network and then all the properties that have been created through my network and my ideas. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite a grand, you know, um, like we could go three hours more about stuff that we're trying to do, but the, I needed to kind of bring everything under one hub and whether it is, volley kings or it's or it's the can-am holiday volleyball showcase all these things have been created by me and the network you know like volley kings is only relevant because when i started it i had terrell and dan deering and kofi and all these people that are in my network so i could you know do great things i'm sure with passing dimes your network's a pretty big reason why when you started it you were able to get guests you didn't have to like like, Hey, you don't know me, but do you want to be on my podcast? Oh, you're Josh. Oh, you got a podcast. Cool. Um, so I was like, I got to create something and you know, my, probably my number one strength is my networking abilities. Um, and I was always connecting with people in the sport. And then the four years I call it at UCLA with, with Kofi and that experience, I mean, I don't think people realize you took like I'm a volleyball fanatic who then got to go to the Mecca of volleyball, arguably, or one of them in in, in the world, which is UCLA Bruin volleyball. And, you know, just casually be sitting courtside every match with Sinjin Smith and doing all this stuff that like, I just kept increasing my, the network of people I was getting to know. And then seeing the lack of high level, high end volleyball opportunities that are out there. You know, we, I say this a lot. We go from the NCAA women's final four to nothing. 
outside of one or like a VNL around a VNL in Canada, men and women around a VNL men and women in the States. That's pretty much it. And the pinnacle is NCAA women's final four, which does NBA numbers, you know, 18,000 fans live. Um, so there's just like, a, there's a huge disconnect and in Canada and the States, there's a disconnect in the networks, too much competition. You know, it's like we did a coaching symposium two years ago at Can-Am that I think is even stronger than this symposium we have now, even though this one's incredible. There was clubs that didn't want to share the information based on the people who were running the Can-Am event, which you could fill in the blanks who that is. And it's like, this is the problem. And then I, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of people in the States, um, like I was saying, and, and, um, it's so disconnected out there, you know? And then when we get big money behind the sport to do something professionally with it, we don't really create the best opportunities. We create cool opportunities or it's great that we have leagues, semi-pro or, you know, shout out to the NBA and shout out to VLA and shout out to AU volleyball. And, and, uh, was it now the Canadian volleyball league premier league, like shout out to all of them. But I know if we're ever going to have relevant volleyball professionally in America slash Canada, North America, and, and, you know, let's not leave Mexico and Cuba and Puerto Rico. We're not going to do it with second and third tier volleyball leagues it's impossible if the nba started and it was just second tier collegiate players or first, even first tier collegiate players playing but all the best players were overseas in europe the nba would never be anything nor would the nhl nor and and that's sort of where i come in at on this and i'm like i've started to see this big window where it's like volleyball is the next thing and it's not about men or women it's actually about both when you're speaking indoor, you know, and we have an opportunity with what I'm doing through the volleyball network and the great people that are like, Josh, if I, if I showed you the list of people that are on my everyday conversations, one will fill passing dimes podcast for a while, but two, you'd be like, what the heck? Like, like, it's just, it's Doug Beal, John Kessel, you know, Jamie Davis, CEO of USA volleyball. And I say these names, not to brag, but to be like, it's, I'm honored that I can do these things and then go to these people and say, Hey, here's my crazy ideas. Um, and I'm going to talk about, you can cut me off, but, and if you have a question, but basically the volleyball network is going to push out two major properties over the next two years. One is the international volleyball all-star weekend. And the other one is North America United Volleyball Club. Do you mind if I talk two, three minutes on each one just to give you an idea? Man, I, I'm perking up here. Yeah. So give me and the listeners a little behind the scenes here. Let, let's go down this rabbit hole here. So because of my experience with All-Star Weekend uh, in 2016 in Toronto with NBA and doing the events and going to NBA All-Star Weekend in 2015, let alone just watching it on TV every year. I was like, you know, how can we create a content piece for the sport that like gets everyone perking up and excited on a yearly basis? 
let's bring, let's do an all-star map, like an all-star game. Mm-hmm. And basically what I'm working on with Sinjin Smith and a few other people is, you know, and, and I, and I'm putting it out there because I think the only way this is going to work the way I want it to work is volleyball world and the FIVB falling in love with my idea as well, because they're the only ones that really can, they control the calendar. And unfortunately the concept we want to do, if we were able to do it next summer would be mid August, mid to late August from Thursday to Sunday, a four day event that on your opening day is your like gala event to open, you know, Hey, all-star weekend, really cool gala event at night with the annual induction ceremony for the volleyball hall of fame. So I've already had a conversation with the director of the volleyball hall of fame, which you should shout them out, maybe put a link in the website, but the international volleyball hall of fame, which is in Holyoke, Massachusetts is a real thing. Just like the Naismith basketball hall of fame and Cooperstown and, and a lot of people don't know this shout out to John Kessel and his amazing son, Cody, who plays for Berlin recycling. Dr. James Naismith taught the guy who created the sport of volleyball in, in back in that day, like late 1800s. Um, and this year they, I think they're just about to have their induction ceremony. They just had it, but they don't do anything major. So I was like, my idea was we open up the event. We do like a media day. We do a gala event. The Friday we do like open practices where fans can come and watch and the teams get to play together. And on the Saturday is the beach volleyball all-star format. And then on the Sunday is the indoor volleyball all-star format. And I started and, and the idea is, Next summer in Los Angeles at UCLA or another property, but right now we're talking with UCLA where we can bring everybody together. And as long as the wind, we can get the players, we would basically have a beach volleyball all-star format that would have, let's say, for example, eight women and eight men, but it's not teams. It's eight women's beach all-stars. So it could be Ludwig and Pavin and one of the Cuban girls and one of the whatever, eight of the best players in the world. And you'll see them playing with each other. It's never been seen before. People go, oh, we've done that before. I'm like, no, you haven't. Someone was like, oh, but the the World Series of Beach Volleyball does that. I'm like, no, they don't. It's still Canada versus Poland. It's not Schachter and Dalhauser versus Pedlo and Lucena. No one's ever seen Brandy and April Ross play together. You wouldn't pay money to see Sarah Pavin or Melissa and Kleinman play. So the idea was we do the all-star Saturday for beach would be like whatever, eight athletes. And they just do one day of like a King queen of the beach. They all play with each other. And at the end of it, there'll be a winning individual or a winning pair or whatever, but they're not going to be from the same country, which would be really cool. And on the Sunday, what I call the piece de resistance just imagine Matt Anderson, Shawan, Micah Christensen, Simone, etc., playing for what we call Team Norseka 
versus the world all-star team, Angapath, Leal, anyone you want to think about, the top 10, 15, 20 players in the world, men's and women's, back-to-back at Poly Pavilion. Like, never been seen before. Now, there's a Polish all-star game in their league, but that's not bringing the best players in the world together to play. So the all-star, the international all-star weekend that we're building out where I've, you know, ideally I'll get them to put their money or their kind of their money where their mouth is, is I have at least 10 to 12 players, beach and indoor elite royalty players that all love it. That ideally will sign a piece of paper. So when I go meet with FIVB and volleyball world at some point soon with Finn Taylor, the new CEO or whoever I can get to, it's like, Hey, these guys all, all think it's a great idea, you know, and um, that, so, and if that can be pulled off as a yearly event that can fit in with the Olympics and world championships and all these other competitions, it gives you a yearly property that to me is second only to the Olympics because all the other competitions don't bring for sure. Don't bring men and women always together, let alone men and women beach and indoor in one competition. And we're going to do a sitting all-star match, which would be incredible to have that, that no other all-star games do like a, a, something like that, you know? So that's the international all-star weekend that I've been literally working on for like three years. Spira is one of the coaches potentially, you know, um, spoke to Wilfredo Leon on the phone about this last year as you know, when I got connected to him through, you know, shout out to Shawan, who's a, you know, just an incredible supporter of what we do as well. Um, so that's one of the big properties that I'm working on under this new umbrella of the volleyball network. And then my, the most exciting one for me, if it can get more exciting than that, um, is North American United volleyball club. And that concept I'm getting better at explaining this quickly is um, it's the in-between where we are now and having a viable tier one pro women's and men's league in North America. It's the in-between because to go and have a tier one league like in Italy or Poland, Brazil, etc., in America with eight to 12 teams per gender even though volleyball is not that expensive to get the players, it's still going to be expensive. Like even if, even if you can afford Lyon for a million dollars, like you're still going to need four or $5 million salary budget to pay out these athletes. So 10 teams like that, that's $40 million in salaries, but one team, men, one team, women, well, that's only four to five. That's only $10 million you need for both teams, salaries for coaches and athletes. Like if you think of, and that's kind of the secret here and I'm okay to talk about it, even if it, and it can go on a podcast because in the end, no one's got the relationships I have to make it all happen. So even if they let, Oh, this is a good idea. I'm going to go and steal this idea. I don't, I don't worry. They can't steal it because too many people already know about it in the volleyball world that I'm connected to. and it's an incredible amount of work to make this happen. But the idea is think of the Blue Jays and the Raptors, what they represent, not just for the city of Toronto, but our country, right? We always say they're Canada's 
baseball team, Canada's basketball team. So imagine North America United Volleyball Club men and women were North America. And I'm not talking North America, Canada, USA, because North America also includes Mexico, Cuba, and Puerto Rico. They, rep, they are the pro team that we will, all cheer, we will all cheer for. And they will basically be a touring team. So very similar to the Harlem Globetrotters, they will go into different cities in North America, mainly America and Canada with maybe one match in Puerto Rico, one match in, um, in Mexico. And then and if we could do a match in Cuba, I would do it because I think it'd be great for their world and volleyball is huge there. But the idea is you take North America United men and women and you bring in a tier one roster of players who all want to play in America. You know, and just the other day, Gage Worsley said on, on their podcast, um, he's talked to players that Europeans and others that all would even take a discount to play in America if the right situation was there, you know, and because and then I've talked to, you know, shout out to Paul Durden, who's a big inspirer of what I what I do. Paul, um, Paul, Paul said to me during his payday, if he could have got an opportunity to play in North America, he would have taken 20% less on the dollar to play just to be closer to home. You know, you don't think, and, and again, like the all-star weekend, had conversations with Shawan, Matt Anderson and Leon and all these and, and, and destiny hooker and other big U S and players that they all love this idea. And it's not, it, it sounds like a lot of money, but it really isn't to, to raise, you know, call it $10 million a year to fund the athletes, the coaches and running, you know, your, your, you know, wherever you're going to train and whatever, blah, 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 blah. It's not that much compared to other sports. I only got to give Wilfredo Leon potentially a million bucks to come play. If that was soccer, that's Cristiano Ronaldo. And that's going to cost me a million bucks a game, if not more. So the entry point actually is what makes this exciting. And because I'm an event producer, I went, and, and it's funny, my conversation originally about this was this year in January with Mike Chumley. And shout out to Mike because he gave me the name when I was explaining my idea. The events that they play, that's how we prove, that's the middle ground. Well, Ellie, how do you know this is going to work? Well, I, I don't know officially that it's going to work. But what I do know is if you, and I might test this theory next year. If you brought Berlin Recycling and Perugia men to Toronto, Montreal, Langley or Vancouver, Chicago, Hawaii, Los Angeles, if you brought those two teams, that's a 10,000 seat stadium sellout if you do a decent job putting it out there to the volleyball community. Because that is the tier one-est of volleyball. And whether it's because you're from those countries or what, it's like, you know, there's got to be 100 million volleyball eyes in North America alone from the Olympic watcher, I call them, to like us, the fanatics. Well, 
I only need 10,000 of those to fill UCLA's poly pavilion for a match. That's like what, not even 1% of the volleyball crowd. And if I, and, and that's what I'm potentially going to test next year is maybe doing an exhibition game in North America sometime during October to February where two elite tier one men's and ideally two elite women's teams in 2022-23 will come and play an exhibition match in a major city in North America. But then ideally the next year, 23-24, will be the first year of a maybe a three to five year run of North America United Volleyball Club. And we would basically play, like I said, matches in North America as our home games. And then every team we play at home, we do a away game where they are. So if we go to play Poland's number one team and we go to play Russia's number one team and et cetera, they'll just like the Toronto Wolfpack rugby team. They'll just travel over to Europe and spend X amount of time there and play those games. And we are going to produce as the volleyball network, every single match. I'm going to go rent out the 10,000 seat stadium in Berlin and produce North America United versus Berlin recycling. We own the pay-per-view. We own everything. Like it's crazy. No one's ever thought about doing this, but when you think about it, it's like same, like a basic, just like the volleyball showcase, get the talent, get a good venue, you know, talking to Marty P about this, uh, Marty Paul, if you own all the rights, you're kind of laughing. And then down the road, maybe NBC or someone will come knocking at the door saying, Hey, we see what you're doing. We, we want this on our network. That's a different story, but that's sort of, if it makes sense, North America United is basically like the Harlem Globetrotters, but every match they play in their quote unquote regular season is a meaningful match against a super tier one protein from another league from Asia to South America to Europe. And I've already started the conversation with a couple people overseas. Um, and we're going to have prize money for every match, which again, like a boxing or UFC. Oh, well, Ellie, why are they going to, they're not just going to come here to play a game. It's going to cost them $80,000 to fly here in a hotel for three nights, four nights. It's okay. We're going to cover X amount of costs and there's prize money. Winner of that match in that city that night gets X and the loser gets Y, right? Everybody gets paid. Just like in boxing, you might lose in the first round, but you still made money even though you got knocked out, right? So those are the two big properties that have been getting like crazy traction in my conversations with people. Like Doug Beals, like, Ellie, let me know what I can do. And I'm like, cool, I'll let you know because I'm going to need you at some point you know, and like I said, I've been working on this with Sinjin with All-Star Weekend. Um, so um, I'm excited to keep pushing the boundaries of these ideas that are much further ahead than just an idea, too. A lot of people are like, oh, it's a cool idea. I'm like, no, no, no. This, in next week, I'm going to have a two-page document for each of these concepts that I'm going to send to you, Josh, so you can see it on a two-page doc, kind of what we just talked about for like the last 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, and if I'm right about all uh, about North America United Volleyball Club for the time that they're going to be around, that over three four years 
of selling out or coming close to selling out all the matches in North America year over year in the same cities. So we're not going to go too crazy, but the idea would be year over year, there'd be a match in Chicago for the men and women of North America United. So that if every year that does well, when we then come together to produce our pro model, we know that Chicago's got a sustainable market for professional volleyball, let alone Hawaii and all these other um, places. Cool story quickly. Jeff Nygaard, you know the name? Yep. You should get him on your podcast. I can set that up. He's awesome if you allow Americans. Of course we he, do. Um, oh, you do. I know you've done. <laughs> yeah. um, Jeff told me that years ago, and it's funny because him and Paul Durden are good buddies and they played against each other in club a bit and in, in obviously uh, like pro club and in and, 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 um, national team. He said they went to a, a town in Nebraska, not Lincoln, not Omaha, but like 5,000, like really tiny town, like Gananoque. It'd be like going to Gananoque, Ontario. And they played a mini exhibition against Canada, another country. And it was sold out, like 4,000 fans. And it was men's volleyball, which really there isn't much men's volleyball big time in, in that part of the world. But volleyball is huge there because of women. But it's volleyball fans. And they came out. So if we can sell 4,000 tickets to Canada, USA in a small town 15, 20 years ago when there's no internet, like the way there is, say, no social media, none of this stuff. Well, what are we? What can we do when North America United, led by Matt Anderson, Wilfredo Leon, and Shawan Vernon Evans, comes to your town? It's a an event like the Globetrotters, right? If you're, if anyone knows the Harlem Globetrotters, it's an anticipation when you know they're coming. Oh my God, the, the Globetrotters are coming to the Rogers Center. I got to get my tickets because they only come once a year, and even though they beat the Washington Generals by eighty-seven points every time. People still come and buy it because it's the Harlem Globetrotters. So that's a little bit of, you know, uh, a glimpse of sort of where we're trying to go. And by 2024, the Volleyball Network is going to be running three to four collegiate events and international events on a yearly basis. Like that's the goal. Um, And trying to bring, really trying to bring the, the volleyball community of wealth together to make it happen. And, it, and, and that community is the people like us who may have five or $10,000 disposable to invest in something cool down the road in volleyball, all the way to where I'm working, my relationships is, how do I get a million from Vince Carter? who was a high school volleyball phenom. How do I get a million from Steph Curry and his mom and his sister? Mom and sister both played D1 volleyball. How do I get a million dollars from Jermaine O'Neal, whose whose daughter might be the best middle blocker in NCAA right now, Asia O'Neal? That's what I'm trying to, you know, let alone Steve Kerr and all these other people who, Brett Favre, that are tied into volleyball, that have that a million dollars to them is what a thousand dollars is to us. It's nothing. Well, thousands is a lot still, but for some people, but like, so that's what we're trying to build 
through the volleyball network so that we can attain these goals as starting as potentially as early as next year with all-star weekend or the following year. And then same thing with North America, United volleyball club. Man, this is so cool. Thank you for letting us see behind the curtain and all the stuff you got on the go. So, I mean, in the short term, we, we can get on board and we can support everything you're doing uh, at the volleyball showcase in Langley, BC this upcoming December 28th to 31st. And then, Man, that that's so cool that we're talking about pro leagues, pro volleyball in North America. We're talking about all star games. We're talking about, you know, I I think fourteen forty tried it, but not in a big scale. Where I think Casey played a tournament with Pedro, but it's never been like the top. It's never been an all star game of a mix of, of nations, which I think is a cool concept for beach volleyball. So that that's a lot of cool stuff to keep an eye on. So thank you for for sharing all that you didn't let us get on board with this but uh i i did promise you an hour and obviously we're a little bit over that but uh one tradition we've made on the show is just to kind of end it with a funny or unique story so obviously you've you've put your whole life into volleyball your your family's a volleyball family but uh hopefully something odd or funny or unique has happened along the way because uh i i think people have got the gist from your interview here that the volleyball is just full of uh a great community and great people so i was hoping you could just give us a laugh before we let you go yeah two well i'll give you a laugh and then one quick little antidote that I try and have in every conversation I have about volleyball. So the funny story, go back to the 2003 national championship at Durham college sold out second night, sorry, finals. So third night playing in front of my family and friends. A lot of them was kind of the sweet, the bittersweet thing of the, it was like finally going to national championship as a collegiate athlete. Oh, and it's in Oshawa. Like, <laughs> down the street from loyalists, like down the street from my house, but people can come watch. So we're playing red deer and the night before in our pregame, I was told I wasn't starting after I was the starting setter in the national semi. And we won in four versus Sherbrooke, which had, um, remember, uh, cash, um, Alex Gomal. The- yeah. Uh, African Canadian kid that was on the national team like super in stud back in those days so at that time I'm only the second setter in the history of OCAA volleyball to win a national championship semi and then the final the next day you decided to not start me because the one thing I was weaker at than the other setter Mike was blocking and which I understood we're playing Shula and Kundi the two best left sides in the country I'm a little bit weaker on the block. I don't get up as high. Blocking was never my specialty. So I was upset already that I wasn't starting. So we get into the match. I don't know if I've ever seen this since that match. It was 18 all in the first set. And it was point for point. 18 all. We, so we side out to make it 18 all. Coach Carson subs me in. Now, for the first part of the set... I'm already getting chirped and I'm not even starting. I'm getting chirped by the guys from Sate and Camosin because the player watching area was a small set of bleachers on the one end of the gym at Durham behind the court. So, you know, we're chirping, they're making fun. And I'm like having a laugh at it. Cause I'm like, I'm not even on the court. You guys are chirping me. You could be chirping the guys, but it was getting a little aggressive. And one guy in particular was like, was getting at me. So I get subbed on and the ball was like basically at the serving line. So I walk, I get on the court, 
go to the serving line, pick up the ball. And as I'm walking back, because I need a little bit of a runway for my serve, I just unleash a whip of an underhand throw that just goes over the head of the Saint guys and bounces off the wall. Cause I was like, you know, you get, they went, they got a little disrespectful. Like it wasn't just like a chirp. It got a little personal call it. So what I did was I, got, I picked up the ball and I underhand windmill whipped it. And literally without even like, like it was normal. All I did was turn to the ball person and said, can I get the ball? <laughs> and then red card. And I get subbed out right away. Sorry. I get the red card. And then I go back and miss my serve in the middle of the net. So all of that to go and miss my serve in the middle of the net, get subbed out, then get sank like a small sanction by the, um, not the head official of the match, but Guy Bradbury, who was like, who knows me pretty well as a player from my club days too. Get, you know, I get a little sanction. And then Nick Cundy goes back to serve. 1918, we lose 25-18. Six straight bombs, three aces and three shanks. Nick gets after I miss my serve. But if you talk to anyone who was at that match, that's what sticks out to people more than the match was because they'd never seen anyone do that before. Like just, I literally just picked up the ball, whipped it at the guys, didn't hit anyone. Um, then missed my serve, of course, which was like in my, you know, so silly of me to, to do that. It would have been better to get an ace. That would have topped it off. But I would say that's like one of my most infamous funny <laughs> stories that, it, you know, even if you're not there, you could just picture me kind of doing that. Cause I'm a sh- shit disturber. Um, um, so that was, that's my funny story. It was pretty hilarious. A lot of people remember it, players that were watching and players that were in the game, even from Red Deer that I'm still friends with, but kind of my final little shout out ties into one of the reasons we've become closer friends over the years is a shout out to Madawaska, um, volleyball camp, the greatest place on earth, um, 50 year anniversary coming up. And m- most people know that volley Madawaska volleyball for me is truly a second home this summer. Ideally I'll come back. It'll be my 29th summer. Uh, I think something like that, 29, something crazy, you know, six years as a camper. And, but the, the little antidote story is the reason I am who I am in volleyball is because of Madawaska. Because when I went there first time as a camper in 92, first year of the stallions, a lot of people, I take credit for that. Not that I came up with the name, but I was literally the first year they started calling D1 boys the Stallions. And my assistant coaches of my cabin were Joe Coffey, who I'm still friends with today. But more importantly, was Paul Durden. Paul Durden was 18-year-old provincial team phenom. was my assistant coach and a rock star already in the sport. And because of that influence of him being like my coach that first year, I fell in love with the game in a way that not every kid can fall in love. And then the next year, Paul came back one more year. And then that was the year he went straight to the national team. He went from Madawaska literally to Calgary with Brian Watson at the time, the head coach from Madawaska. And Paul and I have stayed connected since then when I was 13 years old, 
So going on 30 years. And it's the biggest influence in my life being having a person like that who became what he became and maintaining that relationship, walking up to him after games at Humber or York or any, anywhere else and saying, Hey, remember me? I'm Ellie, you were my coach. And, and, and then now we're like, you know, all of us have actually, whoever's at my Boston that during those years, like you were, we know Paul pretty well, but uh, that, that is probably the most special thing about volleyball for me, no matter the events, and people I know it, it's the Madawaska, Paul Durden uh, influence that sort of created the, the volleyball fan that I am. And, and I'm glad that I can give back as much as possible to, you know, help our game become even greater. So, and thank you to you, Josh, for what you're doing and, and, uh, and bringing me on to talk a little bit about myself and, and the upcoming things we're doing. And uh, I look forward to either another one or, you know, maybe we do something fun with a few people. I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely some options. I feel like we covered a lot, but we we still left a lot out there because of everything you've been around and accomplished. But uh, thanks for sharing all that you did today. Best of luck with everything you got going on, and, and I'm sure we'll be chatting soon because it sounds like you're you're all in on this volleyball stuff, and you got a lot of exciting projects that people are going to want to hear about. So th- yeah, thanks we can, again. We can follow up just on a call even next week between feedings. Um, <laughs> just, you know, and if there's maybe you can make figure out a list of people you might want to me to reach out to on your behalf to set up some passing dimes interviews or sharp cuts. The other thing you do, I can definitely help out with that. And, um, my dad just wants one minute to say hi to you quickly. because <laughs> He knows you're a new father. So 